Well, good morning and welcome home. Unless this is your first time, then welcome to Grace Community Church. I don't think I see too many first-timers out there. A few maybe here or there. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to remind you, as David mentioned earlier, one announcement I want to make is about tonight, 5.30. Please be here. If you haven't made plans to come, that's okay. Come anyway. Uh, and everyone who would be able after the service to help us set up for tonight, many hands make light work. That would be very nice. A lot of people stay would just whip it out fairly quickly. Uh, and tonight sort of kicks off the month of craziness for most of us in December, does it not? <clears throat> every year, I think, every year I think this year's going to be different. I mean, it's always busy in, in December, but, and I always enjoy, I love the parties. I love going out, you know, and seeing the decorations and all that, and I love just being with people in a in, in this with this awesome spirit that just seems to 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 fall over the month of December. But every year I think, you know, I would like to do this a little with a little less stress in my heart and mind. And so I'm gonna get ahead on my work and and now the praise band will come and sing Fantasyland. I live in Fantasyland. I mean that's you know, it's how, always that way, isn't it? You know, you think this year, yeah, man. Am I? In fact, we've done most of our Christmas shopping. You know, it's all, it, our kids were here at Thanksgiving. Our Christmas in, in that sense is done. That part of Christmas where all of our family is together, but still December looms as a very busy month. I am going to enjoy it though. I don't know why we get so stressed out this time of year. I mean, Christians live in, we live in two worlds anyway. We ought to have practice, you know. Those of us who follow Jesus already live in two worlds year round. I mean, our lives are lived out in a fallen world. And yet, if we believe we are a part of the kingdom of God and we look forward to the day when all of this is done, we, we, we have this already not yet tension that is constantly with us and that can be stressful it is stressful you know it's a lot less stressful if you just don't care you know if you just live any way you want to and you don't care um but it's the christian's lot to live in both worlds. or we could say it's a christian's privilege to live in this world in preparation for the day when we will ever be with the king and also to fulfill the mission that he has given us to take this good news to bring light to this dark world and again no better month than december people's hearts and minds are open to hear the news of what it meant that jesus i mean they think they know and they think it's you know it's really cool and everybody gets this good feeling but we know better, and it's a great opportunity to say, let me tell you the whole story. By the way, uh, the Gospel Project is only available for those fifth grade down. Do not even ask. You cannot go back there and watch those videos every week and have those teachers. Um, it's, it's reserved for kids. I was looking around and saw how everybody, especially the kids, were just riveted while that was playing, you know, and they, they, they had to get the offering played, and they'd pass it, and then they just go right back looking it's great isn't it i had hoped that we would be able to take time to put in the portion that deals with our text today but with everything going on there just wasn't quite 
time. You know, how we, how we live in this present age will be determined by our focus. And our priorities, where we, 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 we place priorities, is going to pretty much tell the story. I mean, we're telling a story as well as living out God's story. And what we do with our lives, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our relationships, all of that is going to be pretty much told, or going to pretty much be telling where our focus is. We, we've been seeing this, this, this pattern emerge in Genesis. And, it's, and the pattern in gen, Genesis is the general trajectory away from God it's away from the creator and it is not a good trajectory I mean think about what we've seen thus far Adam and Eve live in this incredible garden they lose their focus they make a decision that breaks their relationship with God but Yahweh is gracious and he covers their nakedness redeeming them from the consequences of their sin, well, partially from the consequences of their sin, especially their eternal destiny. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. One is, is focused on God, one is focused away. And the one who lives for himself kills the one who lives for God in a jealous rage. Uh, another brother, Seth, is born. And he grows, as he grows, he along with others begin to seek the Lord. But that time of revival is short-lived and, and once again people move away from God until God says, I, 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 I'm sorry I ever made man and destroys the world with a flood. But he, he pulls out of that, that judgment, that destruction, he pulls out Noah and his family. And God calls him to a covenant relationship with himself. After the flood, which is where we're looking today, man continues the general trajectory away from God. The title of today's message is The God Who Leaves a Remnant. God always has a people, a particular people that that are central to the story that he is telling. They're telling the story about Jesus, but if, and if you follow Jesus, then you are right in the middle of his story. He has called you out, just like he called Noah out. He has called you out to tell his story to the world. Now, since some of you are new to grace... Uh, in our study in Genesis. You should know that we're focusing on God and the gospel. Most Genesis studies in evangelical churches, well, I shouldn't say most, I should say at least some and a fair amount of, of, of Genesis studies will focus on the, on the characters that are found in, in the book of Genesis. But, but just think about these characters. Every one of them are flawed. They're, they're flawed deeply. And apart from God's intervention in their lives, they're lustful, murderous, deceitful, self-seeking, self-centered people who worship themselves, not their creator. And in the midst of this mass of humanity moving away from God, he calls to himself a people to be light in darkness. And he does that in grace. Today is the last 
Sunday of this year that we're going to spend in Genesis. And even this is going to tie into uh, our Advent, first Sunday of Advent, the Advent candle of hope will be lighting this morning between the message and the communion. Uh, We're going to pray and then we're going to take a peek in chapters 9 and 11 before seeking to learn um, from the sinful tendencies articulated there that remain with us today. So much in Genesis 9 and 11 is is still going on today and and, and we need to learn what we can. But let's, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, if we don't know who we are apart from Christ, then something is wrong with our understanding. If we are seeking to please you in the strength of our own efforts, then we are deceived. Whether we belong to Jesus or not, if, Lord, Today, among us, there are, are those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. We, we've all been there. And we pray for those that their hearts would be drawn to the Savior. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, we pray that our hearts will be drawn to the Savior. Where we find life. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. Wait a minute. Here's the introduction of of something that has surely existed to this point. But it's stated boldly. Fear and dread are now a part of the experience of all life on the earth. And the fear upon every beast in the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, the dread of you will be upon them. Upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. That first verse sounds a lot like Genesis 1, doesn't it? I mean, the difference is that here man is not commanded not only to multiply, but also to scatter. And, and, and man is going to have a different relationship with the animals than before. And there are different standards for human interaction as well. Look, look at the next few verses. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, It's blood, the importance of blood begins to come into the picture in this sinful world. And for your life, blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, if an animal kills you, I will require his blood. If a man kills you, I will require his blood. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now just think about all that's stated here. 
look, we've talked a lot about the patterns that are established in Genesis that, that, that follow all the way through life and will until Jesus returns. We recognize that with Jesus, everything changes, and yet some things stay very much the same. A lot of people want to say God was a, a holy and a judgmental God in the Old Testament. He is a loving and righteous or a loving and a merciful God in the New Testament. No, he was holy and righteous in the Old Testament, but he was also merciful and, and loving in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he is loving and merciful, but he's also holy and righteous. And many of the patterns that he establishes are are affirmed in the New Testament. And the two things that we see right here are affirmed in the New Testament. Now, if you, whether or not, let me say this first, whether or not it was permitted for humans to eat animals before the flood, we don't know. Here, clearly, God gives man permission. And he he says, in fact, I have given these as a gift for you. If you're a vegetarian for health reasons or, or, or whatever reasons, even conscious, reasons of conscience, that's fine. But be careful about saying that it is sinful for people to eat animals. I mean, it's affirmed in the New Testament as well as the Old. And then there's another practice in these verses that some of you oppose, which is, again, you're right. But I would be careful about calling it sin. I'm referring, you might have guessed, to capital punishment in the case of premeditated murder that's what's indicated here premeditated murder whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image execution is not only allowed it's commanded here can you read it any other way it's commanded on the basis of that murder is not simply a disregard for human life, which it, in, it most certainly is. But it's a disregard for the Creator, who made, God, who made man in his own image. God made man in his own image. All through Scripture, including the New Testament in Romans 13, Execution is allowed, but it's put in the hands, or, it, or, or it's, it's commanded in the Old Testament, it's allowed in the New But it's put in the hands of the state, not individuals. That's very important. You just cannot exact vengeance. You have to allow a larger group, a group that's going to be held accountable to do that. Personal revenge, in fact, is condemned. Now, I'm not saying that capital punishment, execution of those who have committed particular crimes is required by Scripture. I'm not saying that it's biblical and we ought to do it. No, the, the, the New Testament principle is to follow the rules of your government unless they go against the law of God and, 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 and the commands of God wherefore you must say, I must obey God rather than man. But that's very few times. Just about the only time that, that we're commanded to do something that's against God is to be silent about who Jesus is and was. And I promise you, if you lived in Saudi Arabia, if they, when they make a law about passing out tracks in the mall, you're not going to go to the mall and pass out tracks, or you're going to lose your head immediately. You, but even still, if, if they tell you you can never speak about Jesus, you have to go and say, well, but the law of God is greater than the law of man. 
So, I, I, while I imagine some of you support capital punishment strongly and some of you oppose it strongly, since we live in a democracy, we can not only participate in the argument, but ultimately in the decision. Is it a deterrent to crime or not? Well, probably not. You're going to find studies that are going to say it's not a deterrent to crime. I don't suppose so when it's six, eight years later. If, if, it were, if, if execution were administered quickly, I'm not saying I'm for that. Look, it makes me queasy even to think about it. But it makes a lot of people queasy to think about someone coming into someone's home and raping and murdering and then just mocking the system and going away from it. Um, nonetheless, at the very least, Romans 13, I would think, argues against condemning the state for the practice. I just wouldn't have signs going around in front of the prison saying murderers, murderers, if you execute this person. But the New Testament would argue against much of the criticism that we level at government. Criticism that comes from both ends of the political spectrum. We say a whole lot about our government that is hard to justify with Scripture, democracy or no. At any rate, the point here is that men and women are made in God's image and life is very sacred. And by the way, this protection of life extends very clearly in God's law to the unborn. Very clearly. And it's not smart for us to go in front of abortion clinics and say murderer, murderer. But God requires your life if you take the life of an unborn in Old Testament law. That's how sacred all life is to Him. Now, again... We live in a different day, and we must abide by the laws of our government. And we must be careful in the ways that so many, the ways that we talk about that, because so many are hurting so deeply about so many areas of life. But let's be willing to say this is what God thinks about this. Fortunately, in Everything that we have discussed this morning, in everything, God is gracious. And it's not up to us completely being perfect, because we're never going to be. Never going to be. Well, after verse 6, the repeating of a command that sounds very similar to the first chapter of Genesis. You be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. I'm going to have to say that if there's one command in Scripture that the good folks of Grace Community Church <laughs> follow. This is it. Uh, Brandy and Kelly Wyant being the latest. Well, they'll, they'll bring their two little beautiful little girls home these next couple of days. Now, in Genesis 9, we see this pattern that God made at the beginning being repeated with Noah. He starts with, with, with one family, a little bit bigger family. 
And he says, I want you to multiply and fill the earth. Scatter. That's one of the things that the, that the video would have talked about in um, the Gospel Project if we had watched that. God tells the people to scatter and yet they seem to gather. At least a good portion of them gather at Babel, which we'll come to in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> so God makes now... A covenant with Noah. Now you, you remember, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. And generally, the stronger of the two parties dictates the terms. Offers rewards for compliance and judgment for rebellion. So, a covenant is not this, oftentimes in the Old Testament, not, not this beautiful agreement between two equal parties. It's a stronger one dictating terms to a weaker one. And certainly God, we've already talked about the God who writes his own agreements. The covenant that God makes here is all one-sided with the benevolent God putting restrictions on his future actions that are rooted in judgment. He's saying, okay, in the future I'm not going to judge in the same way that I I have that I have this time. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with the, your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of, of the earth with you. As many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then he goes on to talk about the sign that he will give, the sign of his covenant, being this rainbow. And every time, do you think about it? How often do you think about it when you see a beautiful rainbow? That that's God's promise to us. Now we're going to look much closer at the idea of covenant when we, when we get to Abraham. But, but just think about this covenant for a moment. It's almost stunning in its scope. I mean, it's remarkable for its breadth, for its permanence, and its generosity. It extends to every creature on the earth. It is everlasting. And it is as unconditional as it is undeserved. Was God harsh when he judged? No. The world with the flood? No, he wasn't. We can never say God is unfair in the ways. Be, be so careful about what kind of God would, my God would, just let that language go completely from your heart and your mind. But God generously says, I will never do that again. He, God who was grieved with man's sin makes his first covenant with his people. It's the first, if you include the covenant mentioned in Genesis 6.18 with this, and it seems to be the case. So things are looking up in the ancient world, right? I mean, we'll get it right this time, don't you think? We recognize the consequences of sin, so we're going to get it right. Unfortunately, no. And you've been down this path a time or two yourself. I'm, this time, I'm going to get it right. I'm not going to... And then we fall right back into patterns of destructive sin. You, you know how this story goes. You've read it before. Uh, Noah goes into farming, produces a little, produces fruit and grapes and 
makes a little wine and promptly gets drunk. It seems that this happens pretty soon after. I, we don't know whether this was, you know, the result of, of a, 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 a fermentation that was different before and after the flood. Who knows? I, I don't know. It doesn't really say. Some commentators think that the brevity of what is stated here indicates God's displeasure with Noah. Others seem to think, well, look, we don't know whether this was sinful, but whether he intentionally got drunk or not, or if it was just something that was new that was happening. And, and so he ended up getting drunk. Any way you look at it, he winds up lying on the floor naked. And then his son Ham comes in, and rather than turning away, he's amused. And he looks at his old man lying there the way that he is. And he goes and tells his brothers, but they're not amused. Shem and Japheth, and, Japheth and, 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 and they come in with a blanket and they cover him up. They walk him backwards so that they won't see their father's shame. What Noah did was most likely sinful. What Ham did was reprehensible. At least that's the way Genesis 9 portrays it in Ham is is cursed. The godly line will continue through Shem. So mankind marches forward all the way to the city and the Tower of Babel, which is nothing less than man's attempt to build his own kingdom, his own heaven. Look, if we get together, just think of what we can accomplish. And that's true. You think about what can be accomplished when Satan gathers his people together. Horrific, horrific evil in the world. When dedicated people get together. It's true the other way. But we can't seem to ever get together because we're fighting so much inside. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the church? That we major on the minor and minor on the majors. So, people gather to gather in Babel. And once again, God steps in. And He confuses their language. Now, you think about all that's wrapped up here. I don't have it in my notes. It's, it's kind of like He does the opposite at Pentecost. Pentecost, you know, people hear the gospel in all these languages. And they, they hear the one true gospel at Pentecost. But here... Because of their wrong focus, their, 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 their movement away from God, he confuses their language. But think about what a blessing it is. They become less secure. Years ago when I was working at TVR, um, I, I was at a church in Spring Lake down by Fayetteville. And boy, lots of people were coming to Christ. And I was talking with the pastor and I said, it's just awesome what God is doing here. He said, well, people that come to our church military often are in a position of insecurity and so they're, they're more receptive to the, to the gospel. And you think about how true that is. In a place of crisis, people are receptive to the gospel. Either that or they become very hard and they don't want to have anything to do with it. But I thought, wow, that's quite noble of that pastor to recognize that really it's quite humble of him to say look this is just God's doings and when God confused their languages 
one of his intentions was to get them to quit focusing on each other and their, their joint plan to build its kingdom and to focus on him and their insecurity. He does this as a father, not as a rival. And no doubt with an eye to protecting the godly line of Shem. Out of the mass of humanity moving away from God, Genesis 11 tells us that God chose Abram from Shem's line to represent him on the earth. Abraham would be the father of God's covenant people. Now, if you recall our study last year, this past summer in Galatians, all those who believe in Jesus are considered part of Abraham's family, and his family is no less than the covenant people of God. Does that register with you? Or do you take for granted your position, your status in the kingdom? Every Sunday we gather and, and all week long we're, we're hopefully thinking about God and his plan and his kingdom. Does it register with you what a privilege it is to be a part of his family? Abraham, Abraham represented hope in, in a dark world. I didn't even mention the genealogy of chapter 10, but remember the end of genealogies in Scripture is always Jesus. After Jesus, no more genealogies in the New Testament. And while the ultimate line of Christ begins with the, with the first man, Abraham, or Adam, excuse me, Abraham is a significant figure in this line, and he becomes the father of the covenant people of God where hope for God's presence on the earth will begin to grow. And as we're going to learn in January, Abraham was a typical pagan of his day. Look, it's not that God said, there's a good guy, I want him to represent me. He was a pagan, but out of his grace and, and, and kindness and his plan for you and me, God called Abraham out of that pagan lifestyle. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. There is hope here indeed. The pattern so far in Genesis is man being in position of great favor with God, then losing focus and moving away from him. Now, look at this covenant that God made with man. And, and see, if we, if we had more time, I'd just say, think about this a moment. See what strikes you that's interesting about this covenant. One of the things, if you look at it long enough, you'll see is that man's requirements are missing. There's no requirement for man to move toward God. It's just God saying, I'm going to be gracious to you in all of my dealings with you by no means am I saying this is a mistake of course not but perhaps it shows us the blessing of God's expectations of us you ever feel like sometimes being a Christian is just is just too burdensome in this world you do not want to be free from what God's expectations of you are you just don't want God to let you live any way that you want to live how many times have you have you, uh, well, let me say that later. And, and, and let me clarify what I'm saying here. Genesis perfectly lays the groundwork for the truth that we are incapable of getting to God. We're, he's holy, we're sinful, we're worthy of judgment and condemnation, and unless he intervenes, we're doomed. That's why Jesus came, to take the judgment and condemnation that was ours so that all who will repent 
acknowledge your sin before the Lord, believe in Jesus, will live eternally with him. As followers of Jesus, though, we're expected to obey his commands, and even that must be accomplished by his grace. While we're here on this earth, we are always going to be subject to sinful behavior. To live in such a way that, that follows the pattern in Genesis of moving away from God. In fact, I'm going to guess that some of you, on Sunday mornings, you feel really close to the Lord for, what, for whatever reason, whatever how God touches your heart on Sunday morning. And this week is going to be different, and then you find yourself moving away again. But those who know Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in them, and the Holy Spirit is constantly turning our hearts back to the Lord. We will not reverse the trajectory in our own lives, though, moving away from God without acknowledging both our sin and the responsibilities that are incumbent upon us for living as followers of Jesus. And since we have no hope of accomplishing this in our own lives, we must allow Jesus to grow larger and larger in our hearts and our minds. Philippians 3.10, Paul expresses this longing to know Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, being or becoming like him, In his death. Much of what happens in your life is designed to to turn your focus to the creator. When you have this intense desire to know Jesus. The more you know Jesus, the more you're going to live for him. It just works that way. It doesn't always work the other way. The more you live for Jesus, the more you know him. And eventually you'll give out on the living if the knowing is not what it ought to be. Everything that God does in your life is designed to conform you to the image of Christ. And it's for your good as well as his glory. Just think of the number of times that you have said, Oh, I am so grateful. That God did not answer the prayers in the ways that I wanted them back then. I prayed for such and such to happen. But thank God he didn't allow it to happen. And how many times when you have forced your own way do you regret when God has been, was gently trying to lead you in another direction? How do we determine all that? Well, we, we won't until the end. But sometimes it's crystal clear that God's way is better than our way. When you look to Jesus in your suffering, you discover an intimacy with the man of sorrows that you never knew was possible. When you die to yourself and you make the king's priorities your priorities, you will find resurrection, power in your life to live in the only way that will bring Glory to God and peace and purpose in your heart. Let's pray. Do you remember when you were without Jesus, without hope in your life? If you don't know Jesus, there is life waiting for you. Acknowledge your sin 
before the Lord and look to what Jesus did in your place. Dying on the cross is your only hope of heaven. If you know Jesus is your Savior, then, then may I ask, what is the general trajectory of your life? Is it toward Him or away from Him? Look, look, the only way we're going to get to know Jesus is to spend time with Him. And if we just pray, then we're talking with Him and we've got a sympathetic and empathetic ear, no doubt, Hebrews 4 tells us. But if we're going to hear from Him, we have to be in His Word. We're in December, we're coming up on January, and look, it's, it's a time to make decisions about the new year. And in fact, don't even wait, but... But get started. Allison and I are going to be going through uh, a chronological Bible, the daily Bible this year. I, I hope that quite a few of you will commit that you're going to go through. Not so that you can gain favor from God, but so that you'll know Jesus. The one that we see all the way through Scripture. And in knowing Him, you will yield to His power and His will in your life. So are you busy participating in the building of his kingdom or are you busy building your own? If you don't know Jesus, he is your only hope. If you know Jesus, he is your only hope. Jesus, we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of our lives and as the head of this church. And in so doing, we submit to you and we desire to know you and we desire it in this moment. We know where our hearts are going to be before we can hardly turn around. We're going to be moving away from you. Don't let it happen. Move us toward you, God. May we participate in the building of your kingdom as you lead us, rather than the building of our own. May we find hope in this Advent season, in the one who is not only our creator, but our redeemer. Amen.